Joining me today is a very special guest, Jesse Cook, who is a multi-award-winning, internationally acclaimed guitarist, composer, producer, filmmaker, and singer. And he's here today. (laughs) (laughs) And he's here today to talk about his Cross Canada tour, the Tempest 2 tour, and his 11th studio album called Libra. Is that correct? Libre. Libre. Libre, yeah. So you, it, it works in Spanish or French or, you know, many Latin languages. So in French, it would be Libre. In yes. Spanish, it would be Libre. So it just depends how you want to interpret it. Yeah. So I was going to say Libre, if you want. I don't care. <laughs> I was going to say Libre because the French, but, but bonjour. Bonjour, Jesse. Yeah. So you were born in Paris, France, mm-hmm. and and you came to Canada. And I want to know... So, who introduced you to flamingo music? Was it your mom, or your dad, or both? Uh, I think probably my first uh, connection to flamingo music was my parents' record collection. Like they had these Manitas Tapatas records, and I, you know, I I should explain to people who I, I realize that there's there's two groups of people. There's people who know nothing about flamenco and you know no explanation is required because it's all new right but and then there's people who are for whom flamenco is a religion and i should probably sort of go well by the way manitas de platas it's you know kind of on the edge of flamenco music because he's part of this group of gypsies flamenco comes from southern spain from andalusia uh and in the during the spanish civil war a group of gypsies left spain and relocated to the south of france and they're not the same as those, you know, Django Reinhardt, Manouche playing uh, gypsies that had been in France for a long time. This was a new group. And they settled around the Camargue and created uh, or produced such artists as Manitas de Platas, who my parents had his records, who was a fantastic guitarist, uh, and as well as uh, the Gypsy Kings, who, of course, took the, warm, the world by storm, right? So, um, but when I was a kid, uh, the Gypsy Kings didn't exist yet. And, and uh, it was these Manitas de Platas records that my parents had. That I, I, you know, I, I remember I would listen to the record and the, the, the cover of the album was just a big close-up of his hand. And it was like all veiny and muscly, like he'd just been, you know, hammering away on a guitar his whole life. And I thought, oh, I want to do that. That looks really fun. And uh, mm-hmm. I got hooked. And, and then I, we, we moved to Canada, as you said. And uh, my first teacher was a flamenco teacher. So it was kind of a weird coincidence. Some of the first pieces I learned on the guitar happened to be flamenco because that was what he taught. And then later, my dad, um, who had continued to live in Europe, he retired to Arles in the south of France and bought a house next door to Nicholas Reyes, who was the lead singer of the then kind of fledgling up and coming group, the Gypsy Kings. And, and I sort of hung out in the RL and heard that Camargue sound sort of up close with just kids, you know, teenagers walking the streets playing the guitar that way. And, and so it was like this weird conspiracy, you know, to turn this kind of Canadian kid who should have been listening to Rush into some kind of, you know, flamenco guitarist. So that's the scoop. Yeah. So you come from, um, a creative side like filmmakers fashion photographer national ballet ballerina was it always music or was it art like well it's interesting i think i'm the, i think i'm the first uh professional musician in the family lots of artists uh but i'm the first professional musician i think most of my family on my mother's side 
love music and played music for fun and you know like pretty you know my cousin was sort of semi-pro like a latin percussionist semi-pro and my uh, other cousin just you know loved to play percussion and banjo and guitar like just lots of the, the 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 sort of boxing day party every year was just a crazy jamboree with like everybody making music and dancing and stuff so that was that was a great place to kind of if you want to be an artist it's great to grow up in a family like that because so many of my friends who became artists come from you know families where they, they their parents were unhappy with that decision you know there were a lot of kind of doctor parents saying you know i'll pay for you to go to university but not if you're studying music you're on your own you know literally like that that was something many friends have sort of told me those stories similar to that so in my case my my sister actually became a lawyer and you know everybody in the family was shocked like a lawyer oh my god you know most parents would be thrilled uh and yet somehow in my weird family that was just seemed so strange yeah so so was there a pivotal moment jesse that okay i want to be a musician like can you tell us about that so yeah i was um uh you know I, as a when i was a young kid i was one of those little prodigy kids you know that people would trot me out and i'd play and everybody go oh, wow amazing and uh my you know i studied with the great ellie kastner who was the chairman of the guitar association of canada and uh, he was a student of Segovia's, and he was kind of i think he was really hoping that i was going to just become this fantastic classical guitarist um and he wanted me practicing like three hours and four hours a day and you know I remember sitting in my room practicing and looking out the window and all my friends are outside playing and I'm going why why do I have to sit here they all have fun so when I was about 13 I quit and um mm -hmm. I uh I I didn't do it for about a year and when I came back to music I came back on my own terms and I I did whatever I wanted I played electric guitar I played in a rock band I played jazz I got back into flamenco and and then I just kind of did whatever I wanted for the next, you know, from then on. Um, but excuse me, at the end of high school, I was actually going, applying to art school. I was thinking I was going to go to Parsons School of Design in New York and, and become an artist. And my girlfriend in grade 13, back when they had grade 13, my girlfriend said, uh, you know, Jess, your music is really great. And your arts, like, you know, <laughs> you may want to reconsider this life choice, right? And I'm so glad she did because it really kind of made me put the brakes on. And I took a, I ended up taking a year off after grade 13 and just studying music. I went to the conservatory and I studied, you know, harmony and went and studied piano and um, and then I studied jazz guitar. I just kind of thought, let me just get serious about this and figure out if this is where I want to go. And by the end of that year, I applied to New York and did that for a year. And then I ended up at Berkeley in the States. Wow. And, and yeah, it was, but it was... Uh, it was close. Like, I, I honestly think, you know, I don't think I had that, you know, I remember presenting my art at some kind of, um, you know, one of those school presents things where like they have art, different schools from all over Toronto presenting oh. their best students artwork. And, and I was feeling pretty cocky because they'd chosen my artwork to represent my school. And I thought, oh, I'm going to go and see this art exhibit and I show up and there's my little piece of artwork. And up on the, beside it is some insanely amazing hyper-realist, you know, thing the size of a wall. And it looks like, you know, the camera lens is distorted with water on it. And the, the image itself is photorealistic, but the guys painted it. And I was just like, okay, I am out of my depth. I could never do that, you know? And, and so I, I really, I think it was a, you know, I'm, I'm happy with the choice. I, uh, I think it, yeah. I mean, you've 
I mean, you have studied the drums too, right? Is that... Um, yeah, you know, growing up in Toronto, um, you you end up doing all sorts of things, uh, you know, for fun. And and so I I spent a summer studying North Indian tabla with a guy named Pandit Charda Sahai, who's a sort of the greatest tabla player in the Benares tradition. And he flies, or at the time, he he'd kind of descend on Toronto, and all of his disciples would come from all over North America. And I was like, I'd never played tabla in my life, so I was really I had a huge kind of learning curve to catch up and all these guys who flew in spent the whole day practicing and I actually still had gigs in the city I would thought oh I'll do it by an hour practicing a day on this and, and then I was like oh my god this is serious so that was a, a sort of steep steep learning curve because uh you know East Indian rhythm the philosophy of East Indian rhythm is the most complex rhythmic kind of system on the planet but I don't think people think realize that but it, you know it, it really is remarkable what if you sort of think what the Europeans did with rhythm if you if you want to kind of uh, equate it with math it would be like addition subtraction and a little bit of multiplication and then what the africans did with rhythm would be like um algebra you know and then what the east indians did with with rhythm is like calculus like it's just so amazing and complex and that studying it for one summer was just long enough for me to realize wow this is huge <laughs> i'm either going to dedicate myself to this or i'm going to you know sort of leave it at that uh, but I also, I joined a West African drumming ensemble for a while. A friend of mine was doing that. He's a a, a master Ghanaian drummer, uh, named Joseph Shang. And uh, he was teaching us all his traditional rhythms. And uh, just because he wanted gigs, you know, he, we, he'd arrived in Canada and he wanted to do some gigs. He was looking for musicians. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll learn that stuff. Yeah. And, and then another point um, for fun, I joined a Brazilian samba school because you know it, 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 it you know that's the beautiful thing in Toronto or Canada I should say is that there are all of these people living here you know and, and and communities that are not just one person but you know kind of rich community enough to support mm -hmm. those artists and so when you're when you're making music that is a kind of a world music big mix you know uh, it you're in the absolutely the best place I always think it's funny when I when I first uh, got a record deal and I went down to Los Angeles to play the Catalina Jazz Festival and you know all these sort of jazz artists down there from LA are sort of like so you got a record deal you're, you're moving to LA now and I was like no why would I do that and they're like come on it's, it's LA this is where this is where it's happening and I was like yeah I think it's where it's happening for that the kind of music you're doing but for what I'm doing I kind of yeah happening you know, so. well your music keeps evolving, right? And and I wanted to congratulate you for the 25th anniversary. I mean, you were supposed to, from my understanding, go on tour, but then the pandemic hit. Yeah. So how excited are you to be on the road, like touring now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, we, uh, the, this tour, the Tempest 25 tour was supposed to happen two years ago, as you said, mm -hmm. which would have been the 25th anniversary. Now it's the 27th anniversary. Like, is that a thing oh, yeah. to yeah. celebrate that? I, I don't know. Um, but uh, luckily, I have a new record. So we're just calling it, you know, call it whatever you want. Tempest 2, the Libre tour, whatever. We're on tour and we're happy <laughs> on the road. Um, but actually, it started, uh, my first gigs this year started back in January. Um, and they were in the States um where you know the states i think was much more let's say relaxed about covid and all of that than we were up here uh so things opened up much earlier and 
we as Canadian musicians, we kind of found it a bit disturbing when we went down, you know, like to be in a hall full of people not wearing masks and doing a show was, it was a bit of an adjustment for us. But, you know, we, we've been doing it. I think this is our sixth tour. I, I do these little three week tours. I try not to go out too long. So this is kind of the sixth one we've done this year. And, and by now we're starting to feel confident, like, you know, several of the guys in the band have now had COVID like twice or three times. And, and then me, I, you know, I, uh, I somehow haven't had it at all. And, you know, I've been out in front of audiences night after night. I sort of figured if I would, if I was going to get it, I'd have got it by now. So, you know, I, I sort of feel like the vaccine worked in my case, because, you know, I, I normally get anything. You sneeze in my direction and I'm out for three weeks, you know, so, um, but anyway, just for me, the, um, the chance to kind of get back out and just play with other musicians, you know what I mean? To kind of, after two years of making music, you know, by yourself and recording things and playing on top of it, it's fun. It's not, you know, it's okay. But, you know, when I, I remember I, I was shooting a video with my friend Fetty uh, towards the end of the pandemic and he just liked to be next to him somewhere and we're playing and we're between takes and I played something and he played something, he improvised something and I improvised something. And I was like, I was almost crying. I was like, oh my God, this was an unplanned musical moment. You know, I didn't have to kind of record and plan. And I, so it was, uh, it's really nice. And then of course, to be in front of an audience, like audiences, uh, it's a kind of a conversation when you're an artist and you're up on stage, you play and they react and it changes how you play the next note. You know what I mean? It's a, I always feel like, the every night is a little bit different and a big part of that is the audience themselves you know people get up and start dancing during the show changes how we play it right and and i feel like um you know i'd really miss that and i it's funny because you after 25 years of touring i i to be truthful i i was probably taking it for granted and then when that's taken away from you for two years you don't take it for granted you come back and you're like oh this is fantastic i love this you know and uh, so yeah yes. happy to be back yeah, because you miss it, right? And then, as you said, you're, you know, at home and recording. Now, did you do everything, like uh, record, edit, film, like the whole thing oh. for this album? Yeah, so, well, I've always made my albums at, at home. Uh, I've always produced them and engineered them. That's just how I do things. Um, and in over the last, I don't know, 12 years or so, I've made my own music videos. And uh, the very last PBS special, Basically, it was just myself and the roadie in my band, who is a kind of a camera guy between the two of us. We we set up cameras every day, framed everything every day and shot uh, one song on each venue of a Canadian tour and turned it into a PBS special. And, and so I did all the editing. I did all the mixing. Um, I helped, you know, set up the cameras and do the sliders and everything. And then he every day would come through with it with a uh, sort of stabilized camera and do one handheld shot of the particular that particular performance. And it was one of those things where I, you know, when during your introduction, you sort of said you added director to my list of, you know, yes. you know what I what I do. And I really appreciate that because I always part of me always feels like, well, you know, I'm really a guitarist and am I getting away with this? And then, you know, that that show has been played nationally for several years now. And I guess I have to go, well, yeah, if I did direct it and edit it. So I guess I do do that, you know, <laughs> but there is that voice in the back of your head that always says, am I getting away with this? You know, are people, are, are people accepting me as this? And I think it's that thing. You just, um, mm -hmm. you have the courage to try 
Yeah. Yeah. So PBS specials and, you know, you do everything right. And the directing and so your, your music has evolved, but also you're so multi-talented. Do you think it helps you as to become even a better entertainer, a better musician, because you do it all, Jesse. Right. And it's, well, thank you. Thank you. It's, um, I don't know. That's a good question. Like if sometimes I, I envy people who don't get distracted by the other aspects that they just, um, they'll relegate, you know, they'll sort of go, okay, you know what, I'm going to hire a producer and hire an engineer and let mm-hmm. somebody else make it. I remember I was working on Nomad. This is quite a long time ago, back in, I don't know, 2005 or something like that. So, and I, that, that album took me two and a half years and I traveled all over the world. I was recording in London, I was recording in Cairo, I was recording in Los Angeles, I was all over the place, Toronto, of course. Um, and, and I was, you know, I don't know how many months, that's 20 months into the project. And my manager, who also managed Diana Krall, said, you know, was talking to me on the phone. He said, oh, you know, Diana's going into the studio to start recording her new album. And I said, oh, well, wish her, wish her luck for me. And then I remember a few days later, we're talking on the phone. He goes, "Oh yeah, she's uh, she's finished finished that record." <laughs> oh, <laughs> Just like I don't, you know, my album. Meanwhile, I'd sort of moved this much, you know, working around the clock. So I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't do things the right way. Maybe I'm making this way too complicated, you know. But that, it is the problem when you wear all those hats. It, sometimes mm-hmm. you're you can be distracted. You know, I I tried to kind of compartmentalize, you know, when like I mm-hmm. put on the guitar hat and I sit down and try and just think about the guitar and not be thinking about, is this a good mic position or how is this sitting with the arrangement, doing, you know, wearing the producer hat and trying to keep those hats off just long enough to play the guitar. But I do realize like when I'm working on a record, the guitar part is the part that gets the least amount of time, at least I put the least amount of work into because, um, you know, I'm, uh, I, I've practiced so much in my life that I kind of go, oh, well, that's pretty good. And the producer kicks in immediately and goes, oh, well, we can do this and this and this. And sometimes, you know, I think if I was just a guitarist and I didn't have to wear those hats, I might, I might, you know, just spend a lot of time thinking about just that performance. And maybe there'd be more that I bring to the performance. I don't know. Those are the questions I sort of wonder sometimes. Yes. You know, I wish I could do it somehow, some different way, but it just seems like, you know, this is how I like to work. So and you also have a, a singing cap too, because you, ah, you don't well, say anything. No, <laughs> that's, a, that's a job by necessity. It's not. Um, yeah, so you know, as as you probably know, um, years ago we covered, uh, or I covered "Fall Your Feet," um, and um, I I collaborated with a great singer named Danny Wilde from the Rembrandts. He sang, he's famous for singing the theme song to Friends, mm-hmm. although his band actually had been a real band long before Friends. Um, but anyway, uh, it was just a one-time collaboration. He did certainly, it did, didn't make sense for him to come on the road with us just to sing one song. And over the years, uh, different people have sung the song. Chris, or the violinist in my band for years would sing that song. And then when Chris left the band, I was like, well, who's going to sing the song now? And, and, uh, you know, I sort of asked all the guys I was working with, did you sing? No, no, do you sing? No, you know, it's yeah. like, well, I guess it's going to be me. And. Oh, so I started taking vocal lessons and um, and it's it's hard. It's I have to say it's the scariest part of the night for me easily every night is when I have to open my mouth and sing that song. And, yeah. uh, you know, I would not consider myself a vocalist, uh, but I I sort of many of my heroes 
Um, I love Tommy Emanuel's an amazing guitarist. I've seen his concerts. He's not a singer, but he'll sometimes he'll just kind of sing a little song, like just like this is a beautiful melody and it's a song, and I don't know the great voice, but here it is. And or if you listen to you know Dizzy Gillespie, you know some some of those classic jazz albums. You know he wasn't a singer, but he'd sing you know Salt Peanuts, Salt Peanuts, like and he, and you could tell he didn't care. It was just it was just the fun of singing a lyric. So I kind of hope, well, you know, it's in the spirit of that, that I, you know, I'll get up and sing a song every night. But most of the night, it's really me playing the guitar. The only thing I really feel I'm actually qualified to do. Mm-hmm. 